Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 3. I think one of the great tragedies of our culture today is that many people read the Bible purely as a historical text. And although the Bible in many ways is a historical text, it is the only text that is living, breathing, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when its word is released, it is never going to return void. And if all we ever do is study the Bible through purely an academic lens, we miss out on the text coming alive in us and providing fresh transformative insight that, that we can apply to our lives today. I know that some, some people think that they are so enlightened in 2022 that none of God's word applies to their lives anymore. But can I tell you that the same issues that they dealt with back then that we deal with them today, the same problems problems they had back then, we got today. The same idolatry and paganism that they would fall under is the same idolatry and paganism that people fall under today. But here's the great news this morning. The same God that they served back then is the same God that we serve today. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is faithful to every generation, and his word is the only thing that stands the test of time. Can you give the Lord a hand clap? a praise for that. That's why I'm confident that not only are we on the right side of history, but we are on the right side of eternity because we are firmly planted on the one thing that is unchanged by every shifting heresy of culture. This is a place where both the spirit and the word of God changes lives. And maybe the most miserable theology that exists is the theology that says the Holy Spirit is no longer doing signs and wonders and miracles today as if we needed it back then, but we're so educated today that really all we need is arguments. But Paul said, I didn't come to you with arguments. I didn't come to you with philosophy, but a demonstration of God's power. You see, it's not either or, it's both and. It's the power that authenticates the text. And so we are a church that practices and believes and engages with a God that is still working miracles amongst his people. And if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. When we sing about healing and deliverance and miracles and a, and a miracle working God, we are not singing in theory, but in practice, because this is what happens when the kingdom of God comes close. Hallelujah. The kingdom imperative is to have a powerful encounter with a dying world that is looking for hope. We are not gathering just to get more education or more information. No, we are here that the spirit of God would reveal who the father is to our hearts and that we would experience the miraculous power that follows him wherever he goes. Can I tell you something here this morning? There is no place that his presence fills that miracles don't follow. This is simply the business that God is in. When the Spirit of God moves, it is a guarantee that signs and wonders shall follow those who believe. We serve a miracle-working God this morning. 
We serve a God who still heals the sick. We serve a God who still raises the dead. We serve a God that still saves the sinner. We serve a God that still provides for your bills. You serve the great I am, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Give the Lord a shout of praise in this place this morning. James 1 and 17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You could say that he does not change like the shifting shadows, meaning that if God did it back then, he will do it today because he is the same God that he has always been. And so we need a gospel with power. It's not about having better arguments. It is not about having more compelling philosophical statements. It is about engaging with a God that is desperately interested in interfering with our mundane life. And if we can create a church where it becomes natural to be supernatural, then we can take the region for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so that's what you've signed up to be a part of. And we are setting our face intently in the direction of God's kingdom prerogative. And we will not quit until his glory fills the earth. Hallelujah. The book of 2 Corinthians. Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. It's a church he plants in AD 50. Five years later, he writes them a series of letters that are correctional in nature, but they are encouraging in nature as well. And he helps give them foundation so that they can build their life upon something. Corinth was one of the most important commercial cities of its day. It controlled much of the shipping between the east and the west. Corinth was a place of philosophy, culture, wealth, but also a place of idolatry and paganism. It was a place where every culture collided, where people from all over traveled through for the purpose of both business and pleasure. See, Corinth was very religious. They were just religious in the wrong direction. The city, they worshiped the goddess Aphrodite, and they built her a temple located in the city square. And at the temple, over 1,000 prostitutes committed acts of fornication on the temple steps as a form of worship to the goddess that they served. And he can put a picture up of what remains of the temple that is left. Friend, the kingdom of God is advancing by force and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our world is filled with abandoned temples to pagan gods, but the church of Jesus Christ advances. If you build your life on any other other pagan philosophy, any other lesser worldview, all it amounts to is wood, hay, and stubble that is burned up when the fire comes. But if you will plant yourself in the house of God, you will be like a cedar of Lebanon. Righteousness will flow first in you and through you, and your life will be transformed. You see, encountering God's presence isn't just a good idea. It's a command from Scripture as an incubator for transformation in your life. See, Paul is writing to a church that is fully immersed in spiritual warfare, but the forefront of this spiritual warfare is manifesting through the sexual deviancy of their culture. Does this sound familiar? Corinth used sexual depravity to appease their gods, and our culture uses sexual depravity to appease ours. 
We call it choice. We call it freedom. We call it exploration. We call it entertainment. We call it meaningless. We call it empowering. But what it really is, is worship. The question is not, does humanity worship? The question is, what does humanity worship? And if you didn't already know, the religion of sex is on a crash course collision with Christianity. The religion of sex proclaims that if it feels right, it is right. The religion of sex proclaims that gender is a construct that can be changed whenever or however you want. The religion of sex proclaims that I will not abide by boundaries, scripture, common sense, or covenant. The religion of sex proclaims that the education and indoctrination of your children belong to the state. The religion of sex proclaims that my highest allegiance is toward my own satisfaction and pleasure and anything that gets in the way of that pursuit must be destroyed. Friend, the culture wars are simply a proxy for the spiritual wars so get prepared to fight the cultural wars are just a proxy for the spiritual battles so get ready to fight and this is where we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 Paul says but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. My message to you this morning is simple. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. The, the church in Corinth struggled with this reality. We have given our lives to Christ, but this culture is dominated by depravity, and we find ourselves easily given over to our past lives. And Paul writes to the church as a father in the faith with great anguish and pain as he simply spends the majority of his letters reminding these Christians in Corinth of who God says that they are. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself of who God says that you are. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself of what the Word of God has to say about you and about your life. I don't let Fox News or CNN or any mainstream media define my life. I live my life according to the word of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Friend, the greatest way we encourage others into righteousness is simply reminding them of who God says that they are. See, righteousness is, is your identity. Grace and mercy is your portion. Shame and condemnation is not your inheritance. And brokenness and pain is not your future. And I have never found shame to be a good, motiva good motivator for transformation. Can I tell you something? The world has enough shame. The world experiences enough shame in their life, but shame will never motivate them for transform transformation. Shame will never motivate them to sur surrender their life to Jesus. In fact, it's when, it's when that I don't know, it's when I know that I don't deserve grace, and yet I have it. That causes me to truly want to live in the light. It's when I know that I don't deserve mercy and grace, and yet I have it, that I truly want to live for God. And can I tell you something here this morning? 
morning, if you feel undeserving of mercy and undeserving of grace, you are the perfect candidate to receive the grace and mercy of God. Because the grace and mercy of God can only go to people who do not deserve it. Hallelujah. And so when God said, my mercies are new every morning, he was saying every morning, you don't deserve my mercy, but I've got fresh mercy for you every day of your life. Hallelujah. I've got good news for you this morning. Every believer in this room is in full-time ministry. We are in this full-time ministry. We are in the process of transformation where day by day you are looking more like Jesus and less like what he rescued you from. You see, transformation in the Greek is the word metamorpho, and it's where we get the English word metamorphosis. It's the process of transformation from immaturity into maturity. It's a change of form by either natural or supernatural means. Now, if God can take a caterpillar and turn it into a butterfly in under three weeks, just imagine what God can do in your life. If God can take a tadpole and turn it into a frog, I've got good news for you. You are not too broken for God to use. Your life is not too messed up for God to restore. Your life has not fallen off to the course, fallen off course to the point where God cannot redeem you. There is hope of transformation in your life. Hallelujah. I'm talking to those who feel hopeless, those who feel like they've blown it. Maybe you got needle tracks up and down your arms. And maybe you feel like you've been written off by the church. Can I tell you, you are the one person that Jesus died on the cross for. And Jesus, he can transform your life. The Bible says he redeems my life from the pit. And you might feel like you are in the lowest of 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 all pits. But the psalmist said he reached way down and he took me up out of that pit and he placed my feet upon a rock. I want you to know if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. If God can do it for Greg, he can do it for you. There is absolutely nothing that God can not do in your life. God, he is in the transforming business. Hallelujah. To be transformed is to become what God always intended for you to be. Friend, transformation isn't about destroying your life, but instead about the revealing of your life. And there seems to be this Gnostic belief today that if God truly loved us, that he would have no desire to change us. But what hides behind this falsehood is the idea that God's love only exists to affirm our dysfunction instead of transform our very existence. And can I tell you here this morning that the most powerful change agent in the universe is, is the love of God. The most powerful tool to transform a life is the love of God. For it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It's what takes the addict and makes him sober. It's what takes the leper and makes him cleanse. It's what takes a woman caught in the act of prostitution and makes her unashamed. It's what takes a tax collector and makes him generous. Hallelujah. You see, God loves us just as we are. But friend, he loves you way too much to leave you the same. 
And can I tell you here this morning that God doesn't love the transformed version of me any more or any less. I don't develop to earn his love. I develop out of the revelation that I am already radically loved by God. You see, you don't change to try to earn the love of God. You change because you have gotten a revelation of the radical love that God has for you. It motivates you. The Bible says that faith, it works by love. It's motivated by the love that God has for you. We love God because he first loved us. Hallelujah. And when you get a true revelation of the love that God has for you, it will motivate you to serve him. Hallelujah. And Paul said these powerful words in verse one. He said, we do not lose hearts. He also said in Galatians chapter six and verse nine, he said, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not, if we do not lose heart. Psalm chapter 27, it says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Proverbs chapter four, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That word heart in the Greek is the word cardia. It means mind, character, inner self, will, intention, desire, and passion. Friend, you can lose your keys, you can misplace your phone, you can forget your wallet, but if you lose your heart, you lost the one thing that matters most, for everything flows from your heart. You ought to guard your heart. Hallelujah. Friend, we don't guard our heart to keep them hard. We guard our heart to keep them soft. Proverbs 13, it says, hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You see, I'm guarding my heart against the cynicism of our culture. I'm guarding myself against the desensitization of our world. I'm guarding myself against the polarization of our nation's narrative. I'm guarding myself against the feelings of hopeless and negativity. I am guarding my, my heart so my heart can stay soft for the seed of the gospel. And it's not really so much about what I'm guarding my heart from as much as it is guarding my heart for something. And hear me this morning that if you follow Jesus, you will experience heartache, you will experience betrayal, disappointment, and confusion. But here's what I learned. I can trust the one that is familiar with my suffering. I can trust the one that was despised and rejected by mankind. Hallelujah. I can trust the one that is acquainted with grief and held in low esteem. I can trust the one who made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. The one who humbled himself became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is a God that I can trust with all of my heart. Hallelujah. Guard your heart. Everything flows from your hearts. A merry heart does good like a medicine. You know, they say that on average, a child laughs about 300 times a day and adult, adult, adults laugh on average about 20 times a day. So sometime between childhood and adulthood, we've lost our laugh. 
it's time to get your laugh back. If you go to a church where you can't laugh and you can't have a good time, you ought to find another church because my God says a merry heart does good like a medicine. We believe in having the joy of the Lord. The days of miserable Christianity and miserable pastors are over. The joy of the Lord, it is your strength. And if you don't have joy, you don't have any strength. It's time to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's been well said. Don't let compliments go to your head and don't let criticism go to your heart. <clears throat> Oftentimes when what the drive-by critics in our world like to do is they like to take particular snapshots of a bad moment in your life. And then they allow this Polaroid to be the image by which they remember you for all of time. And every once in a while, when you begin to gain momentum or gain trajectory, they like to take out this Polaroid of your last mistake and wave it in your face. But can I tell you this morning, the next time the enemy tries to wave your past in your face, would you just go ahead and remind him of his future, that his skull is going to be crushed, that he's going to be bound and thrown into the lake of fire? What you have done is not who you are. You are, in fact, everything that God says that you are. It's time to silence the lies of the devil. And we've got all, we've all got Polaroids from bad moments in our life, but a bad chapter doesn't get to define the book. A bad incident doesn't get to define my spiritual trajectory. The God that I serve is painting the most brilliant picture and his plans for me are good. If it's not good, it's not done. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Singers, and musicians and come back this morning. Do not lose heart. You are not what you have been. You are what Christ has done on your behalf. You are saved. You are forgiven. You are washed. You are cleansed. Do not lose heart. Do not grow weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. God, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. And maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice here today who's going through discouragement, disheartenment, maybe depression. Can I just encourage you here this morning? Do not lose hearts. God, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. And when you surrender to the will of God for your life, the Bible says that all things will work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you have been called for a specific purpose, for a specific plan. Do not lose hearts.